0: Welcome to Propinquity Press, where we bring people together with the hope that that experience changes the world. We hope you enjoy this selection by author William Spangler Dunning. A Place Beyond Iowa It is perfectly okay to be just okay at perfection, B.S.D. I never realized that my family was poor because it was simply the only world I knew. When and where you grow up determines what you know and, more importantly, what you don't know. It seems so simple, but this basic reality greatly affects all of us and the people we become at the deepest of levels. When you don't know that others live differently or simply are not aware of luxuries that other families understand to be everyday necessities, you live in an unbelievably state of happiness and isolated arrogance. You simply don't know or care that you are missing out on what others seem to own or know. You experience your life and culture as the epitome of what all human beings should be. My world was complete, and I had everything that I ever knew I needed until my parents loaded us all up in the family station wagon and took a trip to Key West, Florida for my brother's wedding. I was nine, and it was the first time my family had left the state of Iowa. In truth, my family had never gone on vacation or taken a trip anywhere together until the summer following my adventures in the third grade. Before we would return two weeks later, I would learn the value of olfactory fatigue in the presence of long-term body odor, unwanted secrets of my family, and the knowledge of a wider world that I was not sure was a good thing. However, in the end, we all survived, and I turned out okay. The journey down. In the Dick and Jane readers, the family sometimes goes on a trip to their grandparents, and that was about the extent of my knowledge of what a trip or vacation was about. In those early reading books, it only took a few pages to travel the distance from their home to the new location, and it never took more than a few minutes to complete the whole story, including the trip back home. Our trip to Key West, Florida, might as well have been a trip to another planet. Humans need to experience things directly to have any chance of fully understanding them. Until you have made the journey once in your life, The particular space and time data needed to fully conceive of the geographic distance is simply beyond a person's ability to know how far Iowa is from Florida. My father pointed out a diagonal line he had drawn on the map from Ottomah, Iowa, down through St. Louis, and continuing with the same southeast angle, on through Tennessee, Georgia, and finally with one slight arcing turn to the south, down through the middle of Florida his finger finally landed on a little island called Key West. At the time, the number of miles between our house and the location of my brother's wedding was nearly 1,700, a number that had no meaning to me as an elementary child. My father told me that it might take three or maybe even four days to get there. My understanding of the world up until that moment had been through the experiences of a short walk around our small neighborhood, the six-block walk to James Elementary School, and once a week, our drive all the way across town to Davis Street Christian Church. Three to four times a month, we would load up in the car and head to the farm of my grandparents, just outside of Albia, Iowa. However, even that trip was only about 35 miles round trip. The idea that this journey we are about to embark on was going to take us at least three and possibly even four days created inside me a little bit of fear. Mostly, however, it created a whole lot of curious excitement for what I might see along the way. My brother Raymond was the first born male of the family, and with that came a cultural responsibility to carry on the family legacy and name. No one ever said that out loud, but despite my sister being the oldest and first born of the family, my parents, and particularly my father, seem to invest just a little more and different kind of attention into the preparation of my brother Ray's life than that of his daughter. My father, a man who barely graduated eighth grade and would never be mistaken for a sophisticated gentleman, can be seen in several photographs in the family albums playing chess with Ray on the kitchen table. Chess, an extremely strategic and cerebral game that, truth be told, I am not even sure that my father knew how to play. However, like new parents, my father was willing to try anything if he thought it would help his firstborn son succeed in the world. This behavior of his wore off a bit as the family expanded, which became evident when I came along. I can attest that instead of playing chess with me, his fifth child... He simply traded some of his labor to get a chess set. It's nearly the same thing, but that difference is why the whole family was now packed and loaded in our station wagon headed south for our first trip beyond the borders of Iowa for my brother's wedding. You can learn a lot about people when confined in a car for days. When it's your own family, the secrets you discover along the way can enhance your love for them because you learn that they are not perfect and it teaches you you don't have to be perfect either. Though our house was not very large, it still had enough space and more importantly rooms and doors that allowed us to maintain a sense of individuality. The limited dimensions of that station wagon provided no such individual space. All humans need a little time away from each other to remain civil and sane. So it should not be a surprise to anyone that after the first full day of travel, Our body odors became rancid, the conversations repetitively stale, and our everyday protection filters became non-existent. As children, we form our original understandings of our parents through crafted images of them sitting in church, praying, or calmly sipping lemonade in lawn chairs by the lake. I have these kinds of beautiful memories of my parents, and to be fair, they are accurate pictures of who they were. However, during that car ride to Florida, I grew to appreciate the fullness of the human beings my parents were in this world. It was not always a, quote, pretty kind of beautiful, but in the messiness of those moments, I came to understand them as authentically beautiful, with all their flaws fully visible to their son, who was becoming more and more human every day. I am sure that my memory of that drive to Florida varies significantly from the stories that other members of my family may remember. As I was only nine years old, I slept through large portions of Missouri and Illinois and awoke only at those key moments when we stopped at a filling station. I am told that I was awake when we passed the St. Louis Arch, but since my younger brother and I were the smallest and therefore relegated to the rear-facing backseat, I have no memory of that grand landmark. If I were to tell the story simply from the images I saw out the back window, it would be a series of blurry electric poles whizzing by with intermittent bursts of puffy white clouds. Though sometime around Tennessee, I do remember waking up from an extended nap long after the sun had disappeared into the night and seeing the stars speeding by to unknown places in the universe. For some reason, I've always been most at home when I can see the glimmering lights beyond the Earth's atmosphere. When the memory of that vacation drifts up from my long-term storage, it is really those places we stopped along the way that become the story of our family's journey that summer. We stopped at campgrounds and historical sites. We stopped to fill up the car's gas tank. And sometimes we would stop along a random part of the road to allow us children to unfill ours. Frequently, the stops were meticulously pre-planned from the beginning and circled on the map. Yet the one stop I remember most came unexpectedly and revealed my parents' true human nature, nearly unraveling the whole trip. Many children boast that their mothers all had the superpower of heightened hearing ability. I have heard many stories of mothers who were able to overhear their children through three solid walls while blocking out the white noise of the vibrating washing machine. If it is true that parents are granted above average evolutionary talents during child raising years, and I do believe that, then a complementary skill seems to accompany their children during this time too. Perhaps these two reciprocal extrasensory perceptions developed as yet another way of keeping the family safe and out of danger. This is a common skill observed in wild animals in which both the parent and their offspring can distinguish each other's chirp or howl over long distances and in the presence of the overwhelming distractions happening around them. In a crisis, their ears are able to filter out the voices that don't matter at that moment and focus intently on the sounds emanating from their particular family group. Though at the time, I still believe that this super hearing was a leftover gift of my Martian genetics. It is more likely that those audible skills that allowed me to hear my mother's high-pitched whisper to my father came from the human side of my evolution. I was able to hear her voice with complete clarity, despite the fact that we were on total opposite ends of that long boat-like car, she in the front seat and I comfortably laying half-asleep in the jump seat in the back of the car. Her softly spoken words pass through the boisterous conversations of my older siblings sitting in the middle seats around suitcases and sound absorbing blankets over the continuous hum of the road noise and finally landing gently on the little hairs inside my ear canal. If you ever doubt the power of human evolution or God's intricate crafting of creation, just reflect on how amazing it is that this little audio miracle happens millions of times a day across the globe to keep families safe. There must be an auto setting on this skill, as I'm fairly sure that it must have been in the opposition for most of that trip. I don't recall a single additional conversation my parents engaged in during the rest of the entire drive. Yet, when it counted, I heard my mother ask my father in a whispering, Iowa nice, accusatory tone, are you chewing tobacco? As my ears took in those words, I sat straight up in my seat and focused intently on what my father's response would be to my mother. As humans get older and experience all of the things that go with adult responsibility, we develop anchor practices. Or perhaps the more vernacular way of describing these behaviors would be everyday addictions. Some learn to drink coffee first thing in the morning, just as they are moving into adulthood and never stop this daily routine until they die in old age. It's a practice that has circumvented the globe and helped give people a boost in energy to complete the day's tasks. It also provides a routine that helps us feel okay, even on the most difficult days. These comfort addictions help calm our nerves and instill a little bit of confidence in the most basic of ways. Some choose yoga, running, walking, or even reading a book. Religious organizations call these kinds of things rituals, like morning prayers or weekly communion. These Small repeating practices in our lives make life not just okay, but deeply meaningful. My father, however, had chosen the less healthy comfort addiction of smoking as his comfort behavior when he was only 13 years old. By the time he met my mother, he had been smoking a pack a day, and my mother let him know on their second date that if he wanted a third date, he would need to find a new comfort addiction. Actually, what my mother really said to my father was, if you want to kiss me, you have to promise that you will never smoke those disgusting things again. So, my father never smoked again, and instead took up the more discreet practice of chewing tobacco. I say discreet because my father learned to chew his tobacco only during those times when my mother was not around. He always waited until he had exited the house and was well on his way to work before he put in his first pinch of the day. On the weekends, if he could not find a reason to take a drive in his truck or make an extended trip over to the neighbors to assist them with some mechanical task, he would make his way to the basement to both repair something and slip in a pinch for a secret chewing session. Though mom had only attended school through the 8th grade like my father, she was wise enough to know what he was doing during those away times. She allowed it and said nothing as long as he brushed his teeth before asking for a kiss. My father brushed his teeth a lot during the early days of their marriage. I don't remember the exact location. I learned that my parents were actually flawed and imperfect human beings, but it was somewhere between Chattanooga, Tennessee and Atlanta, Georgia. I do remember that it was late in the third day of our adventure because despite our nightly stops at KOA camps, I suspected that many in the family had skipped their showers. For the most part, when trapped in a contained environment, the human nose will switch off, leaving the inhabitants virtually oblivious to the surrounding odors. However, after three days in the car, every movement of any body part would release a concentrated sour mixture into the air and simply bypass our nose receptors, landing on our tongues, which apparently the brain uses as a backup odorous interpreter. I remember distinctly those tongue odors shortly after my father hit the brakes of the car and swerved to the side of the road, throwing us all wildly around and releasing those concentrated mash of odors that landed delicately on our tongues. My memories get a little mixed up when I try to recall this moment and the timeline swerves backward and forward in my mind when I attempt to remember the exact sequence of events that left my family by the side of the road. It started with me overhearing my mother ask my father if he was chewing tobacco, and me intently listening for my father's response. As I press my ears deeply into those past days of my childhood, I hear my father swallow intensely a large pinch of tobacco he had attempted to hide from my mother. Then... Despite the ongoing noise throughout the car, I heard him say with as much believability that he could muster in a short notice, nope. I don't remember any more words being spoken between my mother and father, but I do have a strong image of my mother with furrowed brow fully articulated, staring at my father, leaving no doubt that she did not believe him. The longer my mother stared at him, the more my father seemed to lose control of the car. I remember thinking that this was proof that my mother might have Martian powers too, as she seemed to be able to affect my father without touching him or even saying a word. The car began to weave back and forth, and my father began to cough through his nose, as for some reason he did not want to or perhaps he could not open his mouth due to my mother's influence on him. That is when he stepped on the brakes as hard as he could, pulled over to the side of the road, opened up the car door, and began walking down the side of the road like a man possessed by an evil spirit. I now know that my father was quite a rebel in his youth and likely used vulgar curse words on a daily basis when talking to his friends. Yet until that moment, on Highway 75, just short of Atlanta, I had never heard my father use those kinds of words. Additionally, and truthfully, up until that moment, I had never once heard my parents fighting. Yet I'm sure they had, it was just that they had never been trapped in a station wagon with all of us until that journey down to Florida for my eldest brother's wedding. As I looked through the entire length of the car, around my siblings' heads and over suitcases, I witnessed my father wildly articulating his arms and legs in random directions as he walked farther and farther up the road. Except for the whooshing sounds of other cars going by on the highway, those moments are silent in my memory. I don't know if it was that everyone stopped talking as we hyper-focused on my father gyrating up the road, or if my own ears stopped working to allow those images to be imprinted deeper in my developing human brain. I don't even have a firm recollection of how long my father threw his tantrum that day. I just remember that as he slowly re-entered the car, pulling himself into his driving position, he leaned over to my mother and whispered six words, and I heard every one of them. I am sorry, I love you. When I reflect back on my parents and their behavior around me, I like to believe that they were always trying to teach their young Martian child the best way of being a human being. I wanna believe that, but perhaps the more powerful and honest memory of Jim and Reva Dunning is that they were just some of the best imperfect people on the planet. In a counterintuitive way, that fight between my parents on the side of a highway in Georgia helped make sure I never equated being okay with a state of perfection. I continue to be a fairly okay human to this very day. There are many other moments during that long summer drive that confirmed to me that perfection is not the same as being okay in this world. For instance, at a campground on the edge of some town I choose not to remember, My older brother became overwhelmed by his teenage hormones and attempted to emulate the plastic plaque my parents had attached to their camper. It read, If this camper is rocking, don't bother knocking. He had met up with a random girl from the campground, and when my father failed to notice the rocking, he further failed to see the need to knock. With the opening of that small camper door, all chaos exploded. First, the random girl burst out the side canvas of the camper, carrying most of her clothes in her hands, and ran straight into my mother, who was kneeling down to comfort her youngest son. My sister launched into a righteous morality speech, accusing my brother of ruining the whole vacation and disrespecting my parents. This was followed by my teenage brother standing fully naked for the whole campground community to get a clear view of the total imperfection that was my family that day. Fueled by anger and his own indignation, he chose that moment to reveal to our parents every secret infraction that our older saintly sister had done or was currently engaged in that left no doubt that she too was an imperfect human being. All families have stories of difficult moments when mistakes are made and people behave badly. Sometimes these exposures to the worst of what human beings are capable of doing can tear apart the very fabric that holds a family together. However, most of the time, including all the secrets I learned about my earthly family on that summer trip down to Florida, just created colorful incidents for me to share with the wider world later, like this. This and other stories I tell are not about revealing all the dirty laundry of my family, but let it be known that for weeks following that trip, I spent hours helping my mother stuff my siblings' clothes into the washer with the hope that I might forget some of those revelations that confirmed just how completely human my siblings really were. Stay tuned for next time for the rest of the story.